1: Welcome back, Redheads. Another episode of the Redheads Book Club in the queue. We are just firing in all cylinders here. I'm so excited to see you guys. How's everyone doing? I will start with Dana because she is going to be
2: the leading expert of today's episode. Dana, how are you? I'm great. I would like to announce that I am going to shave my legs this week. So that's the big development in my life and otherwise just a normal day in the queue. Wow. Okay, so what's
1: the plan for shaving your legs? Like is this going to be sponsored by someone? <laughs> Billy
2: Razors maybe? <laughs> oh my god, I wish I had the forethought to like get some sponsors involved. No, I my <laughs> my only interesting fact is that I may use Nair. I haven't bought it yet. I've been toying with the idea. I haven't used Nair since like 5th grade when I was first allowed to use it and not use a razor. But I don't know. Any thoughts on nairing my legs instead of shaving? Dana, I don't even know if Nair's gonna work. You need to like dip them
0: in acid. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I don't know either. It's like Nair barely works when your legs are like a normal amount of hairy. So why are we going to Nair when it's like industrial amounts of hair? I don't know. <laughs> just something about a normal
2: razor shave feels like it won't work. So yeah, I was looking for alternatives.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and you're gonna. But have, why don't you just try? And, but you're also gonna have to yeah. clean the shit out of like your bath or shower when after you shave. Like when I shaved, it was it lined my tub with my hair, and yours is much
2: worse. Yeah, like you there, do I can. Yeah, I can do like sleepaway camp style. Like, get a bucket, like get water and a towel.
1: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You need to do it like outside the bunk on the porch and just throw the hair in the trash, or you could maybe
0: donate it at this point. Uh-huh. <laughs> you could. You can maybe knit a sweater for the imminent winter.
1: Well, glad to see that you're doing well. I hope your brain is on you know full capacity because it's going to be working OT today. <laughs>
3: Snatchler, how are you? I'm good. I cried like two times today, so it's lower than normal. Wow.
1: What's going on?
3: Nothing. I just hate the fucking quarantine, okay? Yeah.
1: I understand. But you're happy to be here with the Redheads Book Club, right? Yeah, of course. There's nowhere else you'd want to be. There's nowhere else I could be. (laughs) There's nowhere else you can go.
0: (laughs) Bex, how you doing? You know, I'm doing well. I'm doing as well as can be. Um, I've been doing a lot of cooking, which I feel like has been entertaining. In my quarantine house, I'm the worst cook we've all learned, which is, like, unfortunate. Here I was thinking I was great, but, like, slowly and surely it's been revealed that it's not not what we thought. (laughs) But, you know, you can't steer passion away. I still love a good foray in the kitchen.
1: Well, at least, you know, it's something to do. It can't be that
0: bad. It's really not that bad. It's just, like, everyone else has been making better meals than me.
1: Yeah, and your boyfriend is a really good cook. So when you're compared to him, like, of course, it's not, you know, Michelin star, but at least it's edible.
0: Yeah, that's true. I guess this is all an exercise in feeling fortunate for what I have.
1: Very true. Well, I'm fortunate for the redheads. This book, The Glass Hotel by Emily St. James Mandel, (laughs) um, I think it's our most polarizing book yet because before... I got into it before I started it I was seeing some comments and some notes in our Facebook group about how this book was so confusing and people couldn't figure it out or keep up with it so I was obviously so nervous. Um, So I started it a little bit earlier than usual. I started it on a Sunday and I got through it in one day and I really enjoyed it. I understood obviously where people were coming from with their confusion, but I personally enjoyed it. So I kind of just want to go around and hear from all of you what your first impressions were from the book and ultimately
2: where you landed. Dana, once again, we will start with you. (laughs) <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was a literary masterpiece. It was exactly what I needed after the past two rom-coms. Not that I didn't love them, snitch, but it just like brought me back into my comfort zone. I loved the way it was written. I loved like the network of coincidences. I loved the acute observation of the human development. I just loved everything. And like, I agree, it was confusing, but it forced you to think like you had to pay attention, which I haven't had in a while. And yes, some might find that annoying because who wants to use their brain more than they need to. But it was also refreshing to just like put sequences together. It was like, I would describe it akin to doing a jigsaw puzzle. It's like you read a story and then six chapters later, you connect the dots with that original story with something that comes up. And I had fun with that. Yeah, I would agree with that, Bex.
0: You know, it's so funny. It's like I also made it akin to something. Like this whole experience of reading this book, I likened it more so to fine art because I feel like I appreciated it and it was the closest thing. Like I'm not necessarily someone who understands like the reasons why Monet's water lilies is like revered <laughs> across artists and scholars and painters, etc. But and like I don't really like understand the intricacies like though from their perspective as artists, etc. But I can definitely appreciate the beauty and the complexity of it. And I feel like that was the same with this here novel. Like I felt like there was deep meaning. And although I wasn't always following along with like every single detail of that meaning, I really liked that this book took it a layer deeper than where we've been.
1: Yes, that's the level that I'm on as well. I enjoyed it like similar to art if I walk past it like very beautiful I can appreciate it I can't tell you why it's so beautiful or what makes it so special but I appreciate the specialness and I concur with that assessment now I'm gonna throw it to the snitch who's been making faces like she thinks we're crazy the snitch what do you have to say
3: is everyone okay like (laughs) did we all read the same book it was bad like, it was a bad book. You, you thought it was a literary masterpiece? There's 1,000 run-on sentences. Like, this book was just not it, guys. Like, it made no sense. I still can't tell you who half the characters are. I can't tell you what's real and what's not. And I understand that you have to suspend reality sometimes, but, like, I wasn't even sure if I was supposed to be suspending reality. Like, the whole <laughs> book just was truly torture to get through. Damn. Tell us how you really She said heal. what she said. I said what I said. And I'm saying it for the people she who will be it. listening and be like, are these people for real thinking that this book is a masterpiece? <laughs>
1: No, we so appreciate your perspective, and I know that some people feel that way, so I think we're going to have a very lively conversation about the book. Now, I skipped ahead a little bit because usually I summarize the book that we've read for anyone who forgot it, didn't read it, or didn't understand it like a lot of people. Um, This book is a little harder to summarize (laughs) because it's not your average boy-means-girl story. Because it makes no sense. it's, It's not chronological. It's very jumpy. I think that a lot of people would differ in terms of who they think the main character is. The main, like it's funny, the char- I read this in some review that I read cuz I was just trying to understand people's thoughts on the book. The story the I'm sorry, the characters wrap around the story whereas usually it's the other way around like but the the thread of the story is the main character you know not Vincent necessarily or Alcades anyways it's a bunch of different people who are in each other's lives, in and out of each other's lives, we have the siblings, Vincent and Paul. They are half siblings, a lot of family resentment there, which we'll get to. They both work at the Glass Hotel, the name of the book. By the way, this hotel sounds like the place to be. I would give anything to be there right now. It sounds like a farm chemin' dream to be outside of time and space, just like perched up at Jonathan Alcadis's hotel right now. Um, they're both working at the hotel owned by Jonathan Alcatis, who we find out I felt too early that he is eventually a Ponzi schemer and he's going to die in jail. We'll get there. Anyway, at the hotel one night, there is a graffiti written on the glass of the wall that says something very disturbing. It says, why don't you swallow broken glass? And it's kind of a mystery as to who wrote it. And this sort of sets off a chain of events we find out afterwards where Vincent makes a big change in her life. She winds up dating and fake marrying, but just being a partner to Jonathan Alcatis, And she, you know, starts to live in, quote, the world world of money Paul loses his job and Leon is another guest at the hotel who sees it he's wrapped up in the story I thought his journey was really interesting as well Um, then we roll on to 2008 there's the big financial crisis Jonathan Alcatus Ponzi scheme comes to light Um, And we see how this affects all the different characters in the book. Vincent takes a job as a cook on a ship, which she works there for, I guess, about 16 years, something like that. Leon and his wife ditched, like, they run out of money because he was a victim of the Ponzi scheme. And I mean, there's all these different, it's impossible to summarize this book in one breath. Like, there are all these different paths and, like, it's really a quilt of just woven stories of people whose lives overlapped with one another at certain points
2: well said that was great really
1: yeah (laughs) thank you and you know at first I was like why is it called the glass hotel but that hotel is the one place where every person has been you know it's the one thing that really everyone is attached to the hotel at some point
3: yeah that's true
1: That's what, that's what I got from it. So it was, it was a very, I feel like this story could have been told chronologically, you know, 2003, 2005, 2008, 2018, but the way that it was told going back and forth, yes, it was confusing. Literally different paragraphs were from different people's point of views um, and different days and different years, but once sometimes when I don't understand something I just keep reading because I know eventually I'll understand what it is like when they introduced us to that Olivia character the old woman the artist I was like excuse me (laughs) I was just I
3: was yeah
1: I was so confused but I just figured if I kept reading like eventually it will be explained to me
3: for sure but it, it shouldn't be that difficult like when you introduce a new character like it shouldn't be so confusing like they could have at least like had Jonathan Alcadis meet Olivia and then we have Olivia but all of a sudden it's we have a new chapter and Olivia's speaking and I'm
2: like who?
1: Yeah that seems to be a literary choice and I'm gonna defer to Dana to explain um what might have been going on.
2: I think that's the whole point of the book snitch like the past books that we've been reading or just books in general that people tend to gravitate to are very clean cut in its structure like beginning thesis three avenues of approach climax resolution and it gets wrapped up in a nice bow and obviously those sort of books are appealing because you can follow them easily and they have an actual story but this writing structure wasn't meant i think to be confusing or turn off the reader it was meant to do the opposite where you had to just view the story in different ways like i loved what you worded in the beginning jackie how the story wrapped, the, the characters wrapped around the story instead of the story around the characters. Like, you were forced to fluctuate between time zones, between characters, and that had the effect of kind of multiple different lives and multiple different stories in one book. And, like, I felt like I was reading 10 different books in one sitting. So it just achieves a different effect.
3: But you liked that? Like, you liked reading 10, 10 different books in one
2: sitting? Yeah because it was complex like you didn't have your run-of-the-mill this happened she works at a hotel then she marries then he goes to jail then it's over like you were forced to incorporate everybody else's story and what was going on in their lives at the same time and at different times and it just added a different layer it was more like the beauty of the experience of reading as opposed to the beauty of the story itself
3: i get that and i understand it was like supposed to be a whole story about how all these different worlds and people connected but i think that it could have been been done in a much better way
0: I think we're really used to a pretty binary, straightforward way of reading books and and taking on a novel and going paragraph by paragraph, chapter by chapter, and just following kind of a literary course until we reach our finale. And I like to Dana's point, having all of these layers and like making it a sandwich of a book that we like go through all these layers at the same time, simultaneously, until we reach an end, which like isn't all that satisfying. It's definitely just like challenging to our norm. And therefore, we're not going to have the same satisfaction at the end of being like, okay, like beginning, middle, end, we're good. So I just feel like it was different all around, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it was bad. It was just a shift. A shift.
3: This whole... Can you work with that
1: snitch? Bye week
3: was a shift.
1: Can you work with a shift?
3: No, I like what I like. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's fair but that's what this book club is for I wanted to start this book club so that we would all be reading different kinds of books there are a lot of books out there that are super popular um that you kind of know what to expect and I I wanted to choose a book that just went sideways and I think this book accomplished that and definitely was different from our last two books I know people were getting a little bit tired of that trope Rebecca specifically
0: no so I was, um, <laughs> I was this was me last time around. Like, I feel you, girl, and, like, welcome to being, like, the one who's angsty. Like, it's a wonderful place and person to be.
1: Okay, well, let's get into some themes. Today's episode will be a little different because I don't think that there's any length of podcast that would allow us to talk about everything that happened in this book. Like, there are so many things that I keep remembering. I feel like at times, I don't even remember what happened. Like, someone will mention a thing that happened. I keep forgetting about Paul completely, because on the one hand, he's the main character. On the other hand, he's irrelevant to the story.
3: Completely. Also, so when you said Leon, I literally had to text you. I was like, who the hell is Leon?
1: <laughs> yeah, Leon is very, very sad. Um, there's So there's all, all these different elements, and interesting things that happened. So we're going to do our best to unpack as much of it as possible and share our thoughts along the way. So let's get into some of the main themes. I think a big theme in this book, considering it is centered around a Ponzi scheme, which in the acknowledgments the author notes that the Ponzi scheme was um, modeled off of Bernie Madoff's 2008 Ponzi scheme. So a big theme is greed versus guilt. Now, greed is a A theme here because Jonathan Alcatis is greedy um, and his guilt eventually, it's funny because he doesn't seem guilty in the way that we're introduced to him through Vincent. He seems like a man who's very, very sure of himself and like not in the middle of a major Ponzi scheme and he's so charismatic and I guess that's what allowed him to get to this place in his life. Um, But what I found so interesting is that eventually when he goes to jail, like guilt puts you in a prison of its own. Like Enrico. Yes, yes, like Enrico. So Dana, what'd you think about greed versus guilt in the novel?
2: I thought greed was interesting. Well, one, it seemed like greed was primarily focused on money. And I know that's the main component of greed. But sometimes you see greed with like love or relationships or jealousy. But here it was the Ponzi scheme, very centered around making money. Uh, Paul's greed, he stole Vincent, his sister's videos and used it for his own monetary scheme and getting ahead in life so that just like made me think about money a lot more and as you mentioned jackie the kingdom of money was described as its own separate place in the novel where you lived if you were rich and those concepts the author played with a lot one of which and this was actually highlighted in the book i usually hate the highlighted passages because i think they're corny but this one (laughs) stood out to me Um, it was a passage where vincent's friend is describing how she doesn't even see the help anymore in her house like she they're invisible to her and she's living in the kingdom of money and vincent has a saying where the only difference between being rich and poor isn't the money itself but it's actually the awareness that you don't need to think about money anymore so that stood out to me it's not just like oh i can afford this it's oh i don't need to think about whether i can afford it or not So I think greed was, like, heavily intertwined with money, and then to counter it, the guilt that people felt from their greed was interesting, mostly in the fact that it kind of verged on the supernatural, that guilt to me manifests in ghosts, (laughs) like Jonathan's guilt in jail was he saw, I mean, you could argue they were actually ghosts, etc., but they also could just be a vehicle for his guilt, he was seeing them. Um, Paul, when he was in the nightclub, he kept seeing Charlie Wu, who he killed. That was a ghost, kind of the first example of Gil manifesting that way. So I thought the interplay between those two were like, very interesting.
0: I would agree with that. And one thing in particular, because I like, definitely grasped onto the notion of Paul stealing Vincent's videos and like being greedy and taking them and kind of swiveling them into his art form and getting famous over it. But I felt like he was so bogged down with the fear slash guilt of her confronting him that it almost, like, took over him. Like, the anxiety and the guilt of the fact that he had done this to his half-sister, it, like, took over, and therefore, like, I feel like he couldn't even enjoy or embrace the act of becoming a famous artist because he was so overcome by potentially being confronted by Vincent and being called out, and he, like, replayed it in his head endlessly, um, yeah,
1: that passage really stuck out to me, too, when he was like, by not having this conversation with her that he's been dreading, he's fated to have it for the rest of his life. I feel like I'm in that position all yeah, the time yes. where I have these conversations in my head with people where I'm like, I know exactly what I'm going to say. And I put, I do it over and over and over again. And every once in a while, I wind up having that conversation but for the most part, I just
2: have it in my head for the rest of my life. Yeah, that ties into like um, a big theme in the book that we'll, we'll talk about, but the counter life and obsessing and fixating. I feel like every character was just constantly engaging in these fake lives where they were leading out different things and like on one hand, maybe it was another coping mechanism like I'm Stealing money from all these people, but like, let me imagine if I did call the FBI right now, like Enrico had that thought when he was in the office. I mean, Jonathan in jail is obsessing over counter lives that don't exist. It was, and Vincent is like, at one point talking about how she obsesses over what would happen if, if, if. And I feel like we've approached that in a lot of the books we read, like, especially in five years, just constantly rewriting the past, reimagining the future. I think that's just an interesting trope throughout literature and life, just obsessing over what could be. The butterfly effect
3: yeah <laughs> it always comes i back
2: agree. To the butterfly effect always
0: <laughs> i highlighted certain passages and i was like dana's
2: gonna eat
0: this up <laughs> this so butterfly effect
2: it was so butterfly effect and just like one action changes the course of your life and jackie like i was equally confused why paul was such a fringe character but yet open to the book but then appeared sparingly and i feel like it's because when he did appear it was an Indicator to the reader that like something important is happening like even though it was infrequent He appeared in the beginning when he killed charlie Wu. But then he went to visit vincent and melissa and they had new year's eve and that was when he first saw ghosts So like okay now we're aware ghosts exists Then we next see him when he visits Vincent when her mom dies and he's supposed to be like watching over her. That's when she first does the graffiti on the school. Second noteworthy event graffiti, which then plays into the third time we see him when he does the graffiti. It's just like he was a fringe character, but every time he appeared, some big theme happened in the book.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that.
2: I felt like he was also
1: sort of a mirror for Vincent. Mm -hmm. Like... Sort of, you know, this is how bad things could be, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like he was just like a constant reminder. And maybe it was because she was beautiful, she was able to just coast through life pretty much. And he wasn't like, I think of him as like this creepy weird dude, because ultimately they had the same father and they had the same opportunities you would have thought. But I just feel like when it came to Paul, like, and we didn't get so much of like Vincent's inner monologue, you know, and how she was thinking and feeling like she lived with al for so long as just, you know, his fake wife, like really one friend, but just completely to herself, like keeping herself busy swimming but like what about her inner like happiness it didn't seem like she was so concerned with any of that she just
2: wanted not to worry yeah it was most interesting when like we viewed her through the eyes of others when they were like she's beautiful she can adapt she's a chameleon like and you get snippets of her dialogue with his investor friends and you're like oh she's crushing it but i don't even get this when she's talking to me right 100%. 100%. Yeah.
3: Like, I don't see that person that they're seeing because, like, her inner, mo- like, monologue has nothing to do with, like, the way she's acting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree, but I think that's a like a great point of how you view yourself versus how the world sees you, and you're always like you don't see like how fabulous you are. Oh my god!
3: Um, not to get off, and track, you're your
1: own harshest but critic. I'm in
3: the middle of reading this other book, and it's the whole point of this main character doesn't know how fabulous she is, and it's freaking infuriating. Wow, you're what book on are you snitch? reading? Um, another <laughs> Renee Renee Carlino book. Um, on my second one of the week, so.
0: I feel like Vincent was inherently just, like, predisposed to feel lesser than because her father, like, the way that she came about was, like, through an indiscretion of, like, her father leaving Paul's mother to have Vincent. And, like, I feel like there was just, like, she always knew that there was this lingering
3: animosity in the household about it. So I feel like that's going to mess anyone up long term. Right. But I feel like in that situation, Vincent got the be- the better end of the stick because she grew up with like two parents and in a normal stable household, whereas Paul didn't because he was the one that got left
2: behind when the father left.
3: Totally. Yeah, but maybe but, she felt guilt about the, the end of like the structure
0: that
2: ended up being their life. That's true. And then her mom drowned, so she had that overpull. And we never really got a clear answer on, like, what really happened there? So I I think that's what informed Vincent's incongruity throughout the whole book. Like, she didn't know either. They said she drowned, but she was tortured by the fact, like, was it suicide? Did she really drown? She knew how to swim. And then that's why she was obsessed with swimming in the pool, in the infinity pool at night. Like, she just needed answers. And I feel like her whole life, she was searching for, like, an identity. Like, she worked on the ship, because her mom used to work on the ship. Like, she was just trying to gather as much information info about her mother as possible so it was interesting that the very very last scene when she dies she sees her mom and is told that she actually did drown and would have never just left her on her own so she like finally got that piece
0: that's that shit that makes this a good book that like I'm just not sophisticated enough to pick up on, but, like, those things exist, and therefore it's a literary wonder. Yeah,
3: okay, (laughs) I I agree with that, because it's like, I'm proud to say I am too stupid for this book, which is why I didn't like it. (laughs) Because I like those basic ass bitch stories, and those make me happy. But when this, it's like you're telling me things that I didn't know because I didn't pick up on it. And like I read books to escape and enjoy, not to like I don't know better myself. No, no this was
0: a good <laughs> challenge. Like now you're seeing the pieces, and like if you were to reread it, I feel like you'd be able to see so many more themes. And you couldn't little me, you couldn't yeah. pay me to reread this book. <laughs>
2: It's also like, you don't, everyone is so intent to find the symbolism. What does this mean? X equals Y, but it's not even about that. It's just like enjoying the book for the book's sake. Like, I feel like that once you put all that pressure on yourself to be like, this is water, what does it mean? Then you rid yourself of any enjoyment. Like you can't approach a book that way. That's true.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. And I feel like even when I was reading it, even though we knew that ultimately Alcadis was going to be a Ponzi schemer I felt like I was still waiting for something to happen and just like waiting for you know maybe I thought it was a thriller where there was just going to be like this twist but instead it was just a a story being told um and I think when you go in with those expectations you're always going to be let down and this book was really written for you to just like just to enjoy yeah agreed nice Okay, so some more themes that we have are fantasy versus delusion. I think this is an important one because the element of ghosts, and I hate to call them ghosts because then it makes this sound like a spooky, scary book. And I don't, I didn't like see them as ghosts. I saw them as like, this is what a person's seeing, or you could see a human being and think that they look like someone else. You know, you see what you want to see. So what did you think about fantasy
2: versus delusion in the novel, Dana? <laughs> I agree with that. Like there were many levels to the ghosts. You could say like, oh, he's seeing a dead person, which the best argument for that one would be in jail. Jonathan would see them and you first think they're just figments of his imagination. But then like he only sees Olivia after she dies, which he gets confirmation for. He yeah, only I sees, that yeah, Vincent. After that, she tripped dies. me
1: up too. Like the night that uh, Vincent died and Paul sees her, it's like he only sees her now because she's dead,
2: which right. is kind of ghosty. That's where it's getting a little ghosty. Too literal, you're like, oh, you're seeing a real ghost. But that like is on its most literal level. I think in general, the ghosts were probably just a coping mechanism, as we discussed, for the guilt. Like he sees. She sees her mom in the crowd because she feels guilty that she drowned and she didn't know. He sees Charlie in the crowd because he feels guilty that he killed him. Like, I think ghosts were just their own manifestations of their own guilt. Me too. Like, I don't think it was an actual ghost. Like, we wouldn't have seen them.
3: Like, yeah. it was in their head. The people in the jail didn't see them. Right, yeah. So, it was just in their head. Could yeah, be. I've- I think it was
0: definitely a manifestation of guilt.
3: No, that I, that's why what I didn't get. Like, was I supposed to be sp- suspending reality and were there ghosts walking around? Or this was in their head. It's up to you, Counts. I think it's in their head. <laughs> I think so, too.
0: I just think it's weird that they all have these illusions of seeing ghosts or are all experience guilt manifested into visions of people they've slighted. It's like... I feel I get one person having that type of
3: situation, but like all of them? Also, I just have one thing to say that's completely off topic. It really bothered me that her name was Vincent. <laughs> oh Why? Matters. Oh my god. I don't know why, because every time like we wouldn't hear about Vincent for a while, we'd be somewhere else in in this story. And then we'd go back to Vincent and I was like, Wait, I don't remember who this is. It's just you know, like the name just bothered me. Like you were irritated like because the- it was a male's name. I don't know if it was that, but, like, it was, I just kept getting confused because I couldn't, like, picture when I would read Vincent, like, oh, I'm thinking of Jonathan Alcatus's wife.
1: I didn't even realize Vincent is a man's name. I just kept thinking of St. Vincent, that singer. Oh. And I, was, I just thought it was an artsy name, and I liked that it was um, distinguished because then when it came up later in the book, when Leon hears that Vincent
3: has died at sea – he thinks for a second, I only know one other Vincent. Well, I think that that's probably why they made the name very peculiar.
1: I liked the name, and it also made it so ambiguous, her personality. Like, I, I felt like I didn't know anything about her based on her name, which was why when we wound up hearing stuff about her from other people's perception, I was like, oh my god, she's fabulous, she's beautiful. Like, I don't know, she's just Vincent.
0: Right, Totally. I feel like the reason why I just kind of re- reacted a little strongly there, Smith, when you like <laughs> said it, and I was like, "Get over it." <laughs> do you know? Do you know someone? <laughs> No, I don't know someone, but like in gathering intel about this book before I read it, I saw so much feedback about her name, and that's why people didn't like it. I was like, we have to go beyond that. Like that is such a nitpicky thing to wrap your mind around and like get angsty about. Like we are we are adults here. Like we have to be okay with different types of names and that they're not going to be the norm. But like, oh, I mean, we're it's, okay, it,
3: that's not the reason I didn't like the book. It was just an anecdote. <laughs>
0: Okay,
2: but,
3: like, I didn't know where you were going to take it, so, I'm sorry, Snit. No, it's okay, but I'm also glad to know, like, I'm not alone. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) I feel like I, like, in the beginning noted that it was a weird name for a girl, and by the end, I was just completely used to that being her name after reading 500 pages, and like, I don't know, that might have been reflective of how when they found themselves in a new weird situation it felt foreign and then after a while like living in the kingdom of money became natural like basically anything that you do for any extended amount of time you get used to that's probably a stretch but like maybe that had to do with her name <laughs> being different perhaps
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, last theme I want to touch on is the notion of crisis versus survival. I feel like survival was very prevalent, even in terms of, you know, the Ponzi scheme and the greed, and obviously you don't need to steal money in order to survive, but like everyone was just kind of looking out for number one. I felt that survival instinct, most notably in Vincent and Paul, but then they went two completely different paths in terms of surviving
2: i think that survival was inherent in every character and they all handled it differently and they were all running in a sense like vincent's mode of survival was to make the best of her situation improve her circumstances and fake marry a rich man paul's way of surviving was to become a music conductor and then you had stranger ones like walter the caretaker of the hotel survive by staying alone in the glass hotel like, you just had different means of surviving their situation and everyone handled it differently. But, like, ultimately, I think the thing that tied them together was a recreation of their lives. Like, reinventing themselves and running from something. Yeah, and it also felt
1: like none of them were actually living. Yeah. Because Vincent was living a fake life. I don't think she was getting any joy. Alcadis was just living this huge lie. Walter living alone in, in the forest. I'm sure it was a nice setting, but... What else is there? Yeah. Paul was I believe the saddest character of them all. Oh no, but then Leon won for the sad <laughs> contest. Um, I feel so sad for Leon and Marie, like i I don't
3: know
0: what to no, that was <laughs> the just... embodiment of crisis, and like, barely survival yeah
1: but you know what at least they had each other and that's why i didn't feel as sorry for them as i did for some of the other people they had true love and uh we'll get to it in a little bit this notion of like being anchored to this world they didn't have children so they didn't feel like they had those anchors um but i feel like none of i
2: feel like all of these characters were without anchors they were just ships floating through the sea yeah yeah I mean, Vincent also had her camera, like that was the way she dealt with crisis. That was a big part of the book. She was filmed five minute intervals of just standstill scenes throughout the entire thing. And I feel like that camera was important because one, it like captured memory and time was so important to the novel, like between the different time zones, between the different time areas, like her camera served as the constant to capture all of it, even when we were confused, like that was kind of the anchor there. And it was also like the means through which Paul propelled himself to fame. And it was also the cause for her death because she was trying to grab her camera when she fell over this ship. So maybe not related necessarily to crisis, but I thought her camera in general was a motif that followed it in interesting ways. I
1: agree. Even when she was realizing that her life had no purpose or meaning as being Mrs. Fake Alcadis, she kind of justified it to herself by being like, well, I have my camera and I'm taking these videos. And so that could be my life's <laughs> yeah. purpose. Like the camera has always been like her crutch in order to just modify how she sees the world in order to like feel okay. Yeah, Great. Before we get into the DBQs, I need to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest is amazing. I've been using Daily Harvest for a while. The Redheads got their Daily Harvest, and how are you guys liking it?
0: Amazing. I'm so happy. I feel so honored to have gotten that package and that vanilla bean smoothie. I added some peanut butter to it, and my life has been changed
1: amazing daily harvest delivers delicious clean food right to your door it takes just a few minutes to prepare and i never have to question if the food i'm eating is good for me everything stays fresh in your freezer until you're ready to enjoy it you don't have to overthink any of your meals for the week they have delicious options for any time of day smoothies soups harvest bowls flatbreads and more Daily Harvest never uses preservatives, added sugar, or artificial ingredients. They work directly with farms, and they freeze organic fruits and vegetables at peak ripeness to lock in nutrients and taste. I personally love the Daily Harvest, Harvest soups. I feel like it's so hard to get good soup at home, and theirs has everything that I'm looking for, and I'm just a big fan big fan of daily harvest so go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code redhead to get $25 off your first box that's promo code redhead for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com dailyharvest.com promo code redhead as you know we spell it r-e-a-d-h-e-a-d Okay, let's get into the questions. So I think one of the biggest things that happens in the story is a message appears on the window of the hotel where Vincent is working. It says, why don't you swallow broken glass? What are your thoughts on this message written on the window? The characters were so taken aback by it when it happened. Were you as taken aback? What did you
0: think when you first read it? Bex? I literally just didn't understand why everyone made such a big deal out of it. Same. I was like, we're (laughs) fine. Everyone's okay. No one got hurt. Like, you had a moment of vandalism. We can move past it. And then to see that, like, Vincent's life was forever changed by it. And, like, (laughs) all of these deep next steps. I was like, we have to move forward here, people. I mean, I and then I understood that, like, there was sentiment associated with... Alcadis' wife dropping the broken glass and Ella's glass, like that was such a moment of realization (laughs) but like, I still don't understand why Vincent was so triggered by it so like, Dana, looking at you Mrs. I have an English degree
3: Well, I think that Vincent was triggered by it because she did it first she did it in high school
1: Oh no! This is. I want to take a shot at it, and then we'll let Dana give us the answer. I don't know the answer. I think Vincent was so triggered by it because she knew Paul did it, and up until that point, Vincent and Paul kind of maybe thought that Vince's Vincent's mother um, died by suicide. That she went out into the water and that she killed herself that way so if paul knew that vincent's mother had committed suicide and he wrote that message maybe to her she's like what the fuck are you writing why would you write that to me when like she is has you know some personal association to
2: that message i love that that's so good i never thought about it from the viewpoint of vincent looking at it knowing paul did it and be like what are you trying to tell me right because she said she knew that paul did yeah, it. yeah she had to have known like who else is writing an acid when she knows that he knows that she did that when she was in high school like she knows it was him we just had that point in the book we weren't sure if it was vincent or paul but yeah later yes. learning it then that's an interesting inflection point to be like oh she then obviously knew it was him and what was her takeaway i agree with that what was your answer going to be dana I was just going to, one, say how excited I was to put the dots together once we got to the scene in the restaurant where she drops it in, because that's when you realize for the first time that it was definitely Paul, because you put together, like, oh, she probably went there and told him, etc. But I wasn't so fixated on, like... I mean, I agree. I thought that it was a bit of an overreaction on the hotel staff to be so slighted. I'm more so focused on the fact of, like, what glass is and why that's meaningful, and it kind of just lent itself to the like the fragility of the book in general and all the characters and how if you don't handle life with care, it can break in an instant. And then it evoked imagery of like the title, which was The Glass Hotel. So it was just this reverberation of glass. And when you think of The Glass Hotel, it was described as something, as you said, Jackie, outside of time and space. And with a whole novel dedicated so intensely to time and space between like time fluctuating and space being taken up by different characters to be outside of that I feel like is rewarded only to the reader really, cause we are the only ones viewing it from an om- omniscient perspective. And like it lent itself for how do we view the book? Like that, it may be a stretch, but I was more of just like glass killing you, glass hotel, how does glass as a theme weave itself between all of these characters and us as the reader? I feel
0: like another glass association is like The transparency of it, like, you can see through it. And I feel like it has, like, to do with, like, it being solid, it being fluid. And I feel like there was, like, a tie into things not being as solid as they seem, which, like, I feel like was a theme throughout the entire book. Like, oh, you don't actually have a thriving business. Like, this is a Ponzi scheme. Like, I guess it's not as solid as we think. And, I mean, we see it pop throughout.
2: Yeah. And Glass is just, like, a good image like as you said right glass evokes like transparency like you can see through something and i feel like vincent had that gift of seeing through people like when she describes herself on the yacht with olivia and jonathan in their final days she notes how olivia is trying too hard and that's not something that like everyone can pick up on that's like a perceptiveness that you can see through someone only if you have the gift of it which vincent did that really stuck with me. Yeah. I highlighted that. I was like, I just never want to be
1: that woman that's, like, obviously <laughs> trying too hard. I know. It's I like, like with me too. it. sucks.
2: No, <laughs> no I don't think you are at not all. at all. And <laughs> also
1: because Olivia, like, when we were first introduced to her and she's explaining how she was when she was younger and she was just so above people and she was just rude. And so to hear someone, like, judge her afterwards, it...
2: It just felt kind of nice. Yeah, I agreed. <laughs> and it was such a line you could miss. It's like was such a quick thing, but I, it's interesting that it stood out to all of us as like, ooh, cringe. Like she is trying too hard and it's being noticed. And even though this is one line in a book of many lines, it stuck with us.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like Olivia just like wanted to be, or thought she was everything of the sort. <laughs> and it just turns out that like she wasn't.
0: I yes. interpret it as like, there was a life that like she was so close to having she like almost crossed the threshold into becoming a successful artist and like missed the boat and then afterwards was just like picking up straws but like ha like does have this interaction with a, a so- social circle that's so flashy that she's like okay like I need to like make it look like I can fit in and like here's what I think it looks like to do that even though like we all see that it, she just like went a few steps too far.
2: Yeah. yeah. And I feel like Olivia was, if anything, like her purpose was to be a vessel into Jonathan's memory of his brother. Like we didn't really hear about his brother that much just outside of Olivia cause she drew the picture for him. And that was one of the lines that stuck with me the most out of everything in the book when he's in jail and he's being told by his cellmate that if you access a memory too frequently, you're actually changing the content of the memory. And that to yeah. me was like the most poignant part of the entire book because it's just an interesting concept. So like accessing his real memories were now becoming tainted coupled with his counter-life memories that weren't real. It's just memory as a theme was very prevalent.
1: Yeah, Is that true.
3: By the I agree.
2: That shook
1: me. I don't know because sometimes I do think it's true the more like you think about something then you start like adding sort of little embellishments. But I think when you remember a memory for the first time it feels so far away and like you don't know anything about it I feel like the more you think about it and that's actually a sad thing to think about like think about people who have passed away like so the more you think about them like the more you're uh sort of tarnishing their actual memory of who they were and adding your own shit to it yeah very sad okay next question Vincent's brother Paul we must discuss Paul was in and out of her life what do you think he brought to the table Dana
2: I mean, I mentioned earlier how I thought he came at important moments to highlight things that then ended up being important in the book. I just one thing I loved about Paul was the beginning when he appears; his monologue is kind of interspersed with like confessional dialogue that you're confused about. Yeah. You realize it's in the future, but it's your first interaction with this past, present, future, so you're confused. And then one of the very last scenes in the novel is when he sees Vincent's ghost, and he says something along the lines of, I was just talking about you in my therapy session, and you're reminded that that's likely the confessional dialogue from the first scene when he's talking to a therapist, so it all comes full circle. And I just feel like he was a foil to promote such imagery, but it also like tied into this circular structure of the book where it at the beginning of the book is the ending um and you just get taken through an entire life of experiences that starts in the same place that it ends and paul is a big part of that yeah Okay, this next question is probably one of the biggest questions we'll ask.
1: One of the themes of the book produced by Oscar, he says, it's possible to both know and not know something. This is carried through not just the Ponzi scheme, but in other aspects of the novel as well. Do you think this is possible to know and not know?
3: I think it's like, you know, yet you're in denial. So you don't actually know. It's like, you don't want to give in to the thought of what it could be. but Like, you know, but like, you don't actually know.
1: Yeah, I think that this is a real thing. Like, you know, like, if someone were to say it to you, it wouldn't be a complete shock. But you don't have the details. Therefore, you can convince yourself that if you needed to prove that it wasn't true, you could. It's like
3: having... You're just, like, trying not to be culpable. Yeah, it's like having plausible deniability because you don't actually Mm -hmm. know, but you know
2: yeah i feel like the scene that best illustrates that i mean there's a lot where they i mean the funniest is when they're all in the comments room and there was an employee who genuinely seemed like he didn't know but when (laughs) vincent was out to dinner with lenny xavier the like la investor music producer who was the biggest one and who knew about the ponzi scheme he started alluding to it a little bit to vincent in the conversation talking about the investment strategy and how he agrees with it and she perks up because she notices a shift in jonathan's attitude because he starts interjecting and telling him not to bore the ladies with investment talk and she picks up on that energy so like that example right there is one where she kind of knows but she also doesn't know like she doesn't push on it
1: yes but it's like that is a weird behavior from her husband that but that doesn't mean my husband is running a multi-billion dollar ponzi scheme no so she knows like something's amiss but who could guess what it was right ignorance is bliss ignorance is bliss truly okay now I want to get to the redhead questions because we got so many good ones and this podcast is for you guys and so I want to make sure we're touching on things that are important to you now we got one email from a reader that said my first thought slash question after I finished this book was Dana can you please explain this to me So Dana, can you please explain this book to this reader? I feel like you've done a good job of explaining why it was written in certain ways, but ultimately, and I don't want to skip ahead to the moral of the story, but just like, what can you explain this book to someone who maybe even started it and
2: didn't finish it? I think, I mean, I don't want to say it's not a good question. It's a great question, but inherent in the question is the flaw of looking for meaning and trying to find a moral and trying to put together pieces of a book that like, As I mentioned earlier, you just have to enjoy for the experience of reading. Like, it's not as if A, B, C happened, so we got D as a result. It's like, no, you know what happened. You read the story. Like, yes, there are subplots that you can characteristically define as during this time period from 1999 to 2000, she was in the kingdom of money. And before that, she worked in a hotel. Like, yeah, you can, it's still a linear story in some ways. But for the most part, there's no deeper meaning besides just enjoying the book for the way it's written and how it is and the literary prose and all the beauty <laughs> that goes along with it but like i I just think that people are too hard on themselves with torturing on trying to find a meeting and trying to figure out what the book is about when you know what it's about because you read it and that's really all you have to take out of it just the story yeah. and all the elements that make it the book
1: I really like that I think people are being a little hard on themselves I feel like I was hard on myself like just feeling stupid like oh there's this big mystery that I didn't get but I read the book and I enjoyed it therefore I I accomplished the mission of the authors yeah I read the book and I didn't
3: enjoy it yet I accomplished the mission of the author yeah I read the book and I enjoyed it and I accomplished the mission of the redheads
0: which is to get together and talk about this damn book
1: okay next question a little bit more specific on page 156 vincent is overwhelmed by this feeling she gets before going on the subway quote she was overcome by the certainty that if she went into the subway she would die she knew it as clearly as she knew her own name that's interesting focusing on the name though anyways the question is what do you think of this do you lean towards the arguably more logical explanation that it was an anxiety attack Or do you think that there is a case to be made for the more otherworldly side of it, that maybe something awful would have happened? Maybe it actually could have been a premonition. One of the things this reader loved about this book was how trippy it was in terms of never truly letting the reader know what should and shouldn't be taken at face value. And I wasn't sure what we were supposed to make of that moment. Things that seem impossible do happen a lot in this book. So I was wondering what your thoughts were. That's a great question
3: snitch that actually is a good question I mean I feel like I would have liked to have maybe like later on heard about someone reading the news about like a crazy stabbing in a subway station you know so like we could know whether or not this was legitimate or not but I do think that like maybe it was an anxiety attack but I don't think it was completely unfounded in the sense like sometimes you just have like a gut instinct that like something is not right and something is wrong and like you just turn away. Like, she did the right thing. Like, it's easier to say, like, oh, it's fine. Like, she was freaking out. But, like, something could have happened. Like, you don't know. And maybe that was just her gut telling her, like, get the fuck out.
0: Also, yeah.
3: Also, I feel like it was nice to see that more emotive side of Vincent.
0: I feel like we don't normally get a glimpse into her in her thoughts. And I feel like there she was panicked and she was overwhelmed and she was just feeling all the feels. And I, I thought about that passage a lot I think this is a great question because I, I did re- I remember thinking I was like what ended up coming of that like what what was the deal there <laughs> but I did think that about the a lot of passages throughout the book which brings me back to Dana's point that it's like it doesn't always have to make sense for things to be Im- impactful long term
2: yeah. And yeah. like, I think the supernatural intruded in this book in just a different way than we were used to in Nothing to See Here, where it was such an obvious stark contract. Like, very realistic story but there's this uh children who spark on fire like those are very disconnected here it was more interwoven into the plot it's like there's ghosts but they could just be manifestations of your guilt but there's a real ghost like it was much more fluid and i kind of liked that because it didn't leave you imagining like okay fire children is just the one element here that's supernatural it was kind of like in the subtext of every line
1: yeah i would agree with that Okay, next question. For this reader, one of the biggest themes in the book was this idea of a homecoming or always coming to slash back to someone. There's a character, uh, there's a chapter called I Always Come to You. The words are lyrics in Anika's song. Lenny tells Vincent and Jonathan over dinner, she'll come back to me, referring to Anika. And then on page 88, Vincent thinks about her relationship with Jonathan. Quote, when he beckoned, she would come to him. The comings and goings are hard enough to keep track of between the physical people and the ghosts, but do you think this motif applied to Vincent and her mom, a relationship which we never got to read about per se, but which is arguably one of those most powerful relationships in the book? I felt like Vincent returning to her mom closed the loop on these words, I'll come to you, which were whispered in a steady reverberation throughout the book. And for me, they never really hit their mark. Like Anika never returns to Lenny and Vincent, at the end of the day does not come, and Vincent, sorry, Like Anika never returns to Lenny and Vincent at the end of the day does not come when Jonathan beckons until the very end when it seems like this was the relationship those words were in reference to all along. I thought it was powerful. Maybe I'm being cheesy and stupid though so I would love to hear your thoughts and whether or not you even thought this was a theme slash whether it applies to Vincent and her mom slash how you feel about Vincent and her mom in general. Wow that I completely agree with this reader that that was like an overall theme that I just totally
2: felt me didn't. too me too <laughs> does this reader want to join the redheads <laughs> do you
1: want a job <laughs> you can take mine no totally because I feel like everything with this book was intentional even the things that were unintentional and sometimes I feel like this when I watch shows or movies like you see something that that happens and it's like oh we didn't need to see that that means that something's gonna happen with that thing but this book had some stuff where it was like no she's just letting you know she didn't take the subway because she was having anxiety so I, I think ultimately the lyrics like Anika's lyrics um were intentional and that maybe that is an overarching message of this book and that it was the story of a mother and daughter coming back together because ultimately they both end up in the sea.
2: Yeah and the fact that she's honing in on a lyric I think is important because the whole book is kind of this lyric music has this musicality to it like another line that gets repeated a lot is "sweet me up. It's in the beginning, <laughs> Sweet Me Up. It's what she writes on the graffiti and acid at school. It's the last line of the book when she's dying and she thinks, Sweet Me Up. And it's it has that same like trope lyric vibe to it. And I think it just speaks to the general formula of the book of how it's just written so beautifully and has this musicality, not only in actual lyrics like this reader highlights, but also just in other tropes that are repeated throughout the book.
1: Yeah. Okay, next question. Why do you think there was such a heavy focus on Paul and Baltica at the beginning? Like, I know it circled back to Anika for a second with the music producer later, but why so much focus on Paul and the band and the guy Charlie's OD?
3: Well, I think we needed to know about the OD because, like, I just think that's something we should know that he, like, killed someone, and that could really help us understand his spiral and why he ended up at the hotel and all the things like that. So it seems like a backstory. Why we had to know about Anika and Baltica, don't know.
1: But that's one of those things that Anika thing where it's like when she came back into the picture with Lenny, I was like, oh, my God, the cover's going to be blown like this is it. And then that didn't happen. So it was intentional. It was intentionally unintentional. It's just like these people came in and out of each other's lives. It's a lot about coincidence. But just because she's back in the picture doesn't mean it's all going to come out. It's just like is an interesting factoid. And I like that the author did that, that not everything had to like A plus B equals C and then D.
0: Yeah. I appreciate that, too. I don't necessarily like it, but I appreciate it because, like, I always try to make sense of things. However, I did think that I expected Paul, Baltica, Anika, like, I expected that to take the tone of the book and, like, be the main plot. So, when we kept going away from that and, like, went the direction of Vincent, I, like, in my head, I was like, okay, like, when's Paul gonna come back? Like, what's the deal with this band? Like... So, I, I mean, it just threw me off course for a little.
1: But you know what's so interesting is at the end when he's talking to Ella and he mentions that he used to be in Baltica, which was so strange. It just goes to show how much that one event, like that was just one night of his life that he heard them perform, like how much it affected the rest of his life.
3: I mean, because he killed someone. Something to think about with the whole thing with when you think about something too much, you change the memory. Maybe he thinks about Valtzica way too much that he changed the memory that he was in it. That's
2: interesting. That's a good point. Yeah, he said he couldn't write a song that was not influenced by that genre of music. Also,
0: I would like for us to maybe talk about that night with Ella. That was so crazy and like he was just forcing himself to stay out all night with her and, like,
3: we thought that something was going to come of it and, like, then nothing ever did. And I was like, go to sleep. Go to sleep! Right, but it did, something did come of it in the sense of, like, that's how he got, like, so fucked up that he was seeing Vincent. Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I feel like we were just getting pop quizzes throughout the whole book. Like, now I am reintroducing Anika during this dinner conversation. Do you guys remember her? Like, it was just like a test of our readership.
1: Yeah, I feel like now... If I have to pick a moral of the story, it's just that it's a small world.
2: (laughs) Literally. Yes. I love that. You know,
1: like, it's just so many coincidences. Like, Ella sees Paul and Anika and Vincent and Lenny. Like, it just, everything's coincidental and it's a small world. Okay, next up, I want to talk about a character um, who hasn't gotten a lot of love yet. But this reader asks, what were your thoughts on how the author dealt with Leon Provant at the end of the book, more specifically that he just up and fled from his mortgage without any repercussions? I thought up until this point, the author did a good job wrapping up all the characters post Ponzi life, and I see where she was going with this, but I also didn't think it made sense. Leon and his wife would 100% be in the IRS and all those people's radars. Do you think there could have been a counter ending with Leon, another way she could have made his life go? I say counter because of the obvious use of counter life in the whole book. To me, this was one of the things that actually made sense. Like this was 2008, there's a housing crisis. This man and his wife lost all of their money. They all they have is an RV and now they're going to live in the shadows like the way that they felt when they left that house and that mortgage and just that weight was one of like the things that made the most sense to me in the book logistically
0: I just feel like it was realistic I mean I wasn't there losing my house at that time so like maybe it was a little more complicated than I'm making it out but I think that that's like not something that I'm gonna lose sleep over trying to make sense of yeah
2: yeah and they also like bring back the theme during that Leon part of the book of can you both know and not know? Because he's given another opportunity after he's already exiled into poverty to go into the investigation. He gets that tidbit of information that her boyfriend may have been the one to push her off because he has a history of violence. And the second that he's shushed with the opportunity of getting another job there, he doesn't say anything. So it kind of just like shows, can you learn from your mistakes? Does it matter? Can Does greed always outweigh morality? He just gives us like one last glimpse of even when you fall and you have that time to reflect on everything you did wrong you can still make the wrong decision in the future
1: yeah it doesn't mean that you automatically will do everything differently right
0: you have a good thing that he didn't lean on his morality because <laughs> yeah. he would have been wrong
1: yeah <sighs> yeah totally Next question, this book was a little frustrating to me. Why do you think the author decided to give away most of the ending, or I guess gave away key events of the story throughout the book? For example, when they said Jonathan died in prison and in the story he hadn't even gone to prison and we had no idea why. It felt like I knew what was going to happen before it happened and that was very frustrating. I like books that the ending is like, whoa, didn't see that coming. What do the redheads think?
3: I agree with that. Like, I know that this isn't supposed to be your quintessential book, like, blah, 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 you guys have said it a hundred times, whatever. Um, But, (laughs) (laughs) like, it it spoils the ending, and it's like, that would have been a good ending or just, like, moment in the book that we hadn't had expected, and we would have been shocked. So then, like, knowing that he was going to jail, and you were just, it was like an impending wait for all of this to go down. So it's like why am I even bothering to read all of this when I know it's no longer relevant? That's so funny. Yeah. I didn't
0: even pick up on the fact that Jonathan was in jail at the beginning of the book or I didn't get a sense that he was in the process of being bringing down like a Ponzi scheme. I just until it was announced to me. Like
3: they literally said
1: he They died said in it jail. once because le-
0: yeah, no, because Leon just, like... said
1: he was talking to Jonathan and that he seemed like this wonderful guy, he, never the type of guy that you would think was going to die in jail.
0: Oh, you know, I do remember that.
1: That's easy to miss, So though. then you knew.
0: But I think... But that, I think, yeah. The, I thought it was the author could have held.
1: Oh, no, the yeah. author could have held out and, and made it like a more of a suspense but she's telling the story and sometimes and this is based on you know something that happened in real life and sometimes you know the end of the story before you even hear the beginning of it Mm
2: -hmm. everyone's frustration is rooted in not knowing or this like the lack of conventionality in the book structure and it's just interesting how it exposes human nature of wanting to know and needing a linear structure and like the wanting beginning middle and end and i think that's why a lot of people didn't like the book because it was just not what they were used to and they wanted answers and they wanted clarity so i think it just takes a suspension of what you you know to like get into it you know yeah
1: okay another redhead question that we got is someone wanted to talk about what a bitch mirella was to vincent post her fall. What did you think about the friendship between Vincent and Morella? And then how did you feel about the way Morella treated her when she went
3: to the bar in Hell's Kitchen? Do you think that she even recognized her? I think she did recognize her. And I think that we learned that Faisal killed himself because of what happened because of Alcadis. So that might have been by then. So I don't blame her for not even speaking to Vincent because her husband just killed himself because of what Vincent's quote unquote husband did to him.
1: I completely agree. Like, ignoring her was the kindest thing she could have done, considering everything that Vincent's family did to her.
0: I couldn't believe that she had the self-control to ignore. I was so impressed. I was like, damn, that is a bold-ass move to just, like, completely ice someone out. But, yeah.
1: Or it just goes back to what Morella was saying in the beginning, which is that she's... She now, just the help are invisible to her
3: yeah yeah
1: she maybe she just didn't even register like vincent is just not even in her line of view
0: that's definitely it she nailed it
1: <laughs>
2: dana that's a, what's the answer dana that's what i was gonna say that it just had the it brought back how she doesn't see the help and now she can't see her because she's exactly what you said that's exactly that's what i took from it <laughs> it's
0: true wow <laughs> step aside d we have a new wizard in
2: town
1: okay last redhead question she wants to say first just wanted to say this was the best book I've read in the redhead so far I was so impressed with how the author wove these intersecting stories together I think deconstructing the narrative format really made it interesting one of the themes in this book relates to ghosts slash the afterlife slash being haunted by past decisions at the end of the book she was crying by the way this reader when Vincent sees her mother on the day she drowns Do you guys think her mother actually saw her? Was that the reason she drowned, maybe going out in the water to follow the vision of Vincent? I thought that was a cool and very emotional way to close that storyline, but I could see it being interpreted many ways. What do you think about that, Dana?
2: I love that. I mean, we originally glossed over the mother-daughter part of it, and then by the end of our analysis decided it might be the moral of the whole entire book. (laughs) So I like that these redheads were picking up on it before we were. I I think that's a really astute analysis. Yeah,
0: I like that. I also love that she thinks that this is the best book that we've read throughout the book club series because... Everyone just has such different tastes, and I like that we are reaching a a really broad spectrum of preferences. And I'll just say, when in the group I saw some people recommending books and also telling people not to read certain books, and I would just say that we should maybe stray stray from doing that because you never know what people are going to love or hate, and you can potentially be keeping someone from something that would really land emotionally, physically, spiritually. Um, So I just... Cautionary tales,
3: you know. That's actually yeah. Good I was looking
1: for that is good advice. I was looking for content for the Redheads Book Club Instagram, so I was on Pinterest just looking at like quotes about books, and I saw the one that was really um, poignant. I think that relates back to this. It's like the only thing that matters in a book is what the story means to you. You know, I mean, I'm paraphrasing yeah, and it yeah, as yeah. much more. <laughs> beautiful than that but like that's really all that matters not what it meant to someone else but like what you take from it like how you are going to live your life differently based on what you read in this book like what message you received
3: Mm -hmm. I like that I like
1: that yeah I agree I like that everyone has different tastes I like that this is some people's least favorite book and I love that it's some people's most favorite book and I plan on continuing on this jagged path for my next book choice so just stay tuned ladies
2: Side note, I loved the part in the book. I feel like everything was so literary and deep. But the one thing that was just straightforward was when (laughs) Claire, the daughter, asked Vincent if she knew what a Ponzi scheme was. And she said yes. And she was like, oh, my God, like, how do you know you must have been involved? And she just responded saying because I'm not a fucking idiot. <laughs> Which was just like yeah. a refreshing line in an oasis of like literary, glittery language to just be so straightforward like that.
1: No, totally. And like when we heard the the scenario from Vincent's perspective, she said she sat down in the room, she put her bags down, and then they started to talk and we didn't hear what was said. But then we heard it from Alcatis's point of view when uh, he says, like, at the end of the day, Vincent actually wound up being, you know, more than he bargained for. And he tells us that story. And it's like Vincent doesn't even, like, see yeah. that that's what makes her so great. is She's just smart and to the point and, like, with it. Yeah, yes. Yeah, and even when they're describing her when they're doing the investigation, I don't remember the exact words when they were, like, This was a person who loved her life and her job, which is not how we ever knew her in the story, but when they were like, how could you not love a person like that? Like, she was so happy working on the ship, and it's like,
2: Vincent never described herself that way. I would have never known that's who she was. Totally. It was funny when the reporter was like, how's Vincent? And he was like, off the record, this is embarrassing. Do you know where she is? (laughs) Yeah. No, she's a legit chameleon.
1: Like, you'll see her when she wants you to. Yeah. Okay, let's get to the next segment of the book club, The Moral of the Story. We've sort of speculated along the way what we think the moral is, and obviously it's a lot deeper than just, you know, some fables. Fun, like, nice little quip. But um, I'm going to stick with mine, which is that it's a small world out I'm going to stick
3: with yours. Ooh.
0: I'm going to go with things aren't as solid as they seem.
2: Nice. I like that in terms of the glass part that we talked about. And now, Dana, what was the moral? <laughs> of the story? No, I really don't know. I took from it that it was just a nice meditation on like the human experience. It just I don't know, there was no like moral that stood out to me as we've had obviously in past books, like Man Plans, God laughs. This was just the human condition and how everyone gets through life.
1: Yeah. Okay. I actually I would agree with that.
0: Mm, okay, let's get into today. the what? I was like, mm, I'm going to go with things that aren't as solid as they
1: seem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take what from it what you will. I think the author would like that. Um, let's get into our next segment. So much fun. Switching gears. Making a little more pop culture-y. The Hollywood treatment. Uh, I actually think this book would do very well as a spooky little miniseries. And I wouldn't be surprised if one day, like, it's on our screen. So maybe we can make some casting recommendations. I want to hear who all of you guys think should play the four main characters. It's hard to even know who the main characters were. But the mainest character for me was Vincent. I I feel like a lot of people could play her and do her justice. But ultimately, I chose Margot Robbie because I think she's so beautiful, obviously. But she has an edge to her where I could see her as a chef on a boat or living in a basement apartment in Vancouver.
3: Okay. Um, I'm, like, totally opposite side. I chose Rooney Mara. Ooh. Love that snitch. I, in my head, had Rooney Mara
0: throughout, and I forgot about it when we. I was actually answering this question, <laughs> and I put Natalie Portman, which
3: I, I feel like works.
2: It, it works. works. Dana? I had Julia Garner. Oh, she's a little young, but... Yeah. yeah. Well, she was, what, like, 23? Oh yeah, was she? but then
1: I would assume the same person would play the, the shit. True. Yeah, she would have to span like a lot of ages. But no, that's that's a good that's one, a good Dana. One. Okay, yes. next up for Jonathan Alcatis, I'll go first. I had Victor Garber. I just love him as an actor, and Jonathan like was very charismatic and prominent. And until you found out he was running a Ponzi scheme, he just like seemed like a very significant man.
3: And I think that Victor Garber is daddy warbucks and that works for me. i had and this was before i even knew it was based off of him i had bernie madoff
1: <laughs> but i think jonathan was supposed to be kind of handsome you know he wasn't bernie madoff was, was not <laughs> i <laughs> don't even
3: know what bernie madoff <laughs> looks
1: like he's a grandfather yeah
0: bex i had kevin spacey because he's a criminal and so is jonathan
2: love okay, it dana great. I had Bernie Madoff too, but my real one was Brad Pitt. (laughs) You know, it's not that
1: far off because I think you're meant to like fall in love with Alcadis a little bit, just like the whole world did, just forking over their money. Yeah, there you go. Uh, For Paul, I had Jim Parsons... Um, just because I just had that dweeby guy from Big Bang Theory in my head, so I had to Google what his name was, and then it turned out it was Jim Parsons, and I just watched him in Hollywood. Um, but the character that he played in Hollywood, I guess, like, Paul is just creepy to me. I don't know.
3: Yeah. I think that's a really good one. Thank you. I did Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad, you know. Oh,
1: a little more handsome.
3: Yeah. I had
0: Will Poulter, who is Kenny and We're the Millers.
2: Yeah. oh my god <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's really so funny good. yeah <laughs> that's a great one thanks I too got a creepy vibe from him which is why I made him and I have no idea this actor's name but the kidnapper creepy dad in Ted that steals Ted
3: <laughs> oh <laughs> wow
1: <laughs> you have like full creep <laughs> that is so funny okay I like that <laughs> Okay, and the last one that we cast was for Leon, the precious, sad little gem of Leon. I chose Russell Crowe because I was looking for a man age 60, and I think that Russell Crowe is, like, ambiguously sad sometimes, especially these days when they're, like, taking paparazzi photos of him and his belly in the airport. <laughs>
0: oh, bummer.
1: Have you guys seen those photos?
0: No.
1: He just looks like a man who's driving around the country in an RV. Okay.
3: <laughs> um, For mine, I actually am pretty proud of this one. I did Sam Elliott.
1: Ooh, that's good. He's from uh, Star is, Stars is Born, Dana.
0: Oh, oh, oh! Yes, that makes perfect. Sense. He's
1: a he's a good significant actor. Yeah. I like that.
0: That's a good one. Um, I had Adam Sandler, a la hidden gems, because that was as sad as it gets, in like a <laughs> overall sense, and also like in a um, vocational sense.
2: Understood. I had Tom Hanks cuz was one of five actors I know. <laughs>
3: that's not that's actually pretty good. Okay.
2: Yeah. It's not the worst choice you can make. Oh, I did yes. well.
1: Okay. Now it is time for the overall redheads rating of The Glass Hotel.
0: Becky, I went with a 3.5. I really liked it, but I I didn't feel like I understood everything enough for it to warrant a 4 for me, like a four, like, I really want to be, like, speaking the language of this book. And, like, it's it's on me that it didn't get a four.
1: So, yeah,
0: but I loved it, Jax. I thought it was a great pick. Thanks for um, Thank taking you. us down a different path.
1: I rated this book a four because I recognize that it is a very good book. Um, it's not a five for me because I didn't understand it enough to give it a five. Um, but it was—I thoroughly enjoyed my time with it. Even though it was confusing and complex, I was able to read it in a day. I didn't want to put it down. I liked the characters, and I felt it was a strong literary prose. And thus, I gave it a four. Snitch?
3: I'm going to go with a 2.3. And it would normally be just a zero because I truly didn't enjoy this book. But it's a 2.3 because I'm appreciating the value of the book and how the way it was written and all the things that I missed. So I'm just giving it a rating in and of itself because I know that it it had a lot to dig into. But I personally just didn't like it.
1: Okay. Very fair. Dana? I will give this a 4.5 bringing up the average okay it is time the overall redheads rating for the glass hotel by emily st john mandel is 3.575 i feel like that makes sense i feel like that's how together we would rate this book which is how an average (laughs) works Um, Dana, we got a question for you because one reader asked, they want to know how you rate books. She always sees that you rate things 4.8 or 3.4, very specific. And she's wondering uh, what your rating process
2: is. That's so funny. I like have no means to that science. It's I think me being noncommittal and like not wanting to give something too much or too little. So I settle on a random point decimal. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's very sweet
1: of you. Okay. Wow. We are wrapping up the glass hotel. That was a very fun journey. Before we get into other books that we read uh, in these past two weeks, I want to let you know that today's episode is also brought to you by book of the month. If you're looking for other books to read in addition to the redheads books, check out book of the month. It is a fun book subscription that offers five new and early release books to choose from each month. Their editorial team chooses the books, vetting them from hundreds each month. Members choose the book they want want and can add on up to two additional books if they want. Book of the Month is commitment-free. You can skip any month you want as many times as you want. It's a great way to branch out into new genres or styles. Many members say they wouldn't have tried something new if it weren't for the featured books. They support up-and-coming authors, especially debut writers, and highlight new and diverse backgrounds. Your first month's book with Book of the Month is just $9.99 with code book club so I've gotten book of the month before I just got one of the books from their new choices called happy and you know it by Laura I Hankin. got it too um,
3: from book of the month you did yeah, happy and you know by Laura Hankin
1: I'm so excited to read it. It sounds so up my alley. That's what I'll be reading um, for the next two weeks. So I would never have known about it without Book of the Month. I think Book of the Month is a great program if you're always looking for new and diverse suggestions. They pretty much do all the research for you, and then they choose five really different books from one another. And I think they have a great recommendation system. So if you want to try Book of the Month, um, use code BOOKCLUB to get your first month's book for just $9.99. Okay, with that said, what other books did people read? I'm going to go first because I did not read anything else.
3: Okay, Whoa, I read... Oh breaking the mold. They're speechless. I read yep. one and a half books because I'm halfway through one right now, but I read um, Swear on This Life by Renee Carlino, and it was seriously, like, fantastic. I would give it a 4.5, not a 5, mainly just because it was an easy read, so I feel like some people who have more depth, like would hate that i gave it a five um but it was just so good like such a sad story but like in a good way and i just loved it and now i'm reading wish you were here by renee carlino and by the time jackie probably puts up this episode i'll have finished it but at this very point in time i'm giving it like a 3.9 nice bex I finally
0: read Daisy Jones and the Six, which I'm so excited to announce because Jax has been encouraging me ever so slightly, but also aggressively to read this book. And I'm so glad I did because it was amazing. I just love, I mean, I love classic rock. So like it really like brought me back to my days of like being a total groupie of like all my favorite bands from back then. Um, and I would give it a four, i think i fell victim again to falling um for the hype like i let the hype mm-hmm. get the best of me and to so, like i was expecting like my life to be forever changed which like i'm not saying it wasn't but like i'm not saying it was <laughs> so that's where yeah I'm
1: at. expectations are really like everything that's why i love reading books completely blindly like dana will give me a suggestion or something i don't even read the back i just read the book and it's such a nice way to read
2: dana what did you read I read two really, really good books. Um, the first is The Girl with the Louding Voice by Abi Dare. I would give it a 4.8, it was fantastic. It's an incredible story. And the second book I read is American Dirt by Janine Cummins. Um, I would give it a 4.6, I really liked it, it was very good. Nice, okay, you know what? I'm actually really grateful for The Redheads this month because I've been
1: watching a lot of TV And I had to read The Glass Hotel, like, for the book club. Otherwise, I would not have read a book in a while. And now, after reading that book, I'm like, wait, I want to read another book and another book. And it just got me back into reading, whereas I think I would have fell off for a while if it wasn't for the book club. So I'm just loving the club, and I'm so glad you guys are a part of it. And we're just chugging along. So you guys can now get excited for the next book that I have chosen. We will drop our first episode, our next episode, on the first Thursday of June. The book I have chosen is Codename Helene by Arielle Laughan. It is a historical fiction book, a little World War II action. I read um, some really good reviews about it. Dana had heard good things. And so other than that, I don't want to know much more about it. And I think it will be great for us to get into a new genre. I know that's Becky's favorite genre. So like I'm hoping to appeal to the masses.
0: Totally. I can't wait to read it.
2: I'm so grateful for the Redheads because I would have never read The Glass Hotel with as much attention otherwise, and then I feel like if you don't pay full attention, you miss everything, so this club made me really focus in a way I don't know if I otherwise would have. Yeah, because everyone has high expectations for you, Dana. (laughs) And it's just like, you don't read the book the same way when you don't have to talk about it.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, sometimes it puts a lot of pressure on the way that you read it because you feel like you have to remember everything and you can't enjoy it as much. But then other times you wind up remembering things because you need to. Otherwise, you might have not soaked in everything that you needed to. So overall, I'm loving this experience. I think being in this book club has just been great for us during the quarantine. And great for so many of the members of our community. And I'm just, I'm loving the community. So if you are enjoying this, please follow us on Instagram at The Redheads. Please leave us a nice podcast review in the podcast store. Maybe five stars. You know, just that would be sweet. Um, And thank you for being a member of The Redheads. I'm going to let everyone go. We've been recording for so long. I'm fucking starving. Bye, guys. Love you. Love you guys.
0: Love you.